this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to the hindus in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today the tiger census 2022 released recently estimates that india has 3167 tigers at present This is a slight increase from the figure in 2018's report, which was 2,967. Project Tiger first began in 1973, when there was an alarming decline of the national animal in the country. From the nine reserves the country had in 1973, there are now 53 reserves spanning over 75,000 square kilometers, roughly 2.3% of India's land area. Since 2006, A tiger census has been carried out every 4 years. There are however criticisms with regards to the methodologies adopted in counting our tigers. What do the numbers revealed in the current census mean for tiger conservation? What are the major threats facing tigers at present? Can India support bigger tiger numbers and if so what can be done to achieve this? To explore these issues with us, we have with us today Dr. K Ulas Karanth, wildlife scientist, tiger biologist an emeritus director of the center of wildlife studies megaluru good morning dr ulas karanth and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast thank you for having me over dr the tiger census 2022 has just been released and it estimates that india now has 3167 tigers could you talk to us a little bit about the history of this census see the efforts to count tigers across india for the whole country began in the 90 late 1960s and early 70s and basically for the until 2005 for the 35 years or so they used a method called the pugmark census in 2005 they completely changed over to a new method that they called the national tiger estimation in my opinion both these methods had deep flaws continue to have deep flaws so i do not set much in store by these numbers i am not very delighted when they go up when they come down because over the years at one point in time in uh, you know when they began there was a assessment based on pug marks that about 1800 tigers were there in india around 1970s then by uh, 2002 these numbers had been taken up to 3600 something okay then there was a creation of a tiger task force there's a long history to all that but the sum and substance of it is the pugmath method was suddenly discarded as uh, poor and then they came up with this new method unfortunately when they came up with the new method they did not consult competent people it was again a complete government monopoly just like the pugmark census and they came up with a method that was more expensive but wasn't necessarily more reliable the extrapolation for country wide tiger numbers so in 2006 when the new method was first time used they brought the number drastically down to 1400 which in my opinion was absurdly low ever since then they have been uh, raising it slightly every 4 years and now they claim there are 
167 or some number like that. So I do not set much in store because I know the history of both these methods and I know neither has been really rigorously peer-reviewed. In fact, over the years, scientists have criticized both methods as unreliable. I was the first one to begin, but a lot of other competent scientists have joined me since then. So I do not pay much attention to these numbers. But unfortunately, in India, the media has a very short attention span. They get excited about these numbers once in four years, don't go deep into the issue, and then they go to sleep and come back alive after four years. So I really don't have much to say about what these numbers mean because they're essentially the methods are very flawed. So would you say that there could be more or there could be fewer tigers than this? I would say, see, I have done very intensive work between 1986 and 2016-17 in the central part of Western Ghats using what I think are advanced and better methods. And based on that, my view is there have the uh, recovery of tigers. Certainly, they were really down in the dumps in 1970. Uh, Numbers were low. They were being hunted, habitat was uh, being encroached and the introduction of the Wildlife Protection Act by Indira Gandhi, then the Project Tiger Scheme and the absolutely dedicated hard work of Forest Department, Rangers, Guards, Officers in the first 30 years did push the tiger numbers up. I, I, I'm, I'm not surprised around 3,000 tigers were there by the year 2000-2002. It is after 2005 that the management kind of lost that mission focus. So I I would not be surprised if there are 3,000 tigers in India or 3,500 tigers in India. But if you say, if you kind of say there are, there were about 2,050 years ago and there's about 3,000 now, we are talking about a 1% annualized increase rate. It is nothing to crow about and uh, claim fantastic success, etc. Of course, India has done a better job than any other Asian country. But these numbers being used to tout it as a great success or a proof of success, I simply don't agree. Would you say that a better indicator of success, sir, would be to say that our habitat given over to tigers has increased? No, I think a better indicator of success would be to monitor tigers clearly because directly monitoring tiger numbers and prey numbers is the best way to get a handle on it because a habitat can be empty of tigers. Whereas if there are real tigers, it's different. And that needs to be done in very different ways. First of all, you shouldn't do it once in four years because tiger populations, even if you are successful, have very high losses, about 20% per year. So there's a heavy turnover. So if you do it once in four years, you're not going to get a handle on what's going on. So you need to do it annually and you need to do following very rigid camera trapping protocols called uh, closed capture recapture models that you have to do your entire survey in 45 days, 60 days, a short period each year. And then you get this data of whether numbers are changing, how many are surviving, how many are being produced, all these dynamics they get. These methods are available, but they need discipline and a scientific approach which the government is refusing to invest. They rather believe in throwing a lot of money and collecting data that doesn't, uh, then cannot be analyzed properly. That is the problem. What we need is better monitoring, not just more stories being told. Right. 
So, discussing the report a little bit, one of the key findings of the report is that the tiger population in the Western Ghats has decreased. Is this a major cause of concern, sir? No, I don't believe that, uh, you know, as I said, the methodology, uh, there are two outcomes from this. One is monitoring of individual populations uh, using camera trapping. It's not being done rigorously. It's done once in four years or sometimes the cameras are kept on throughout the year or half the year. So it it doesn't yield accurate results. The habitat, uh, the distribution of tigers. The first one is about counting tigers. Second one, the question you raise is about the spread. Where are the tigers? That they are doing using some track surveys. Uh, There are better methods called occupancy modeling, uh, proper occupancy modeling, statistically valid occupancy modeling, which would give you that information. But the way these surveys are conducted, from what I've seen of their present report and their earlier report, see the present report is still not out. What they have published is a preliminary report and usually between the preliminary report and the second report, there's a lot of difference, a lot of changes, a lot of numbers are changed. So, but looking at the previous ones, the way they measure distribution itself is completely wrong. So, for example, in the 2006 survey, they looked at, uh, you know, essentially, uh, this is an extrapolation from camera trapping to wider areas. They just covered 300 square kilometers in Bandipur Tiger Reserve in the 2006 survey and extrapolated to whole of Karnataka. So, again, there's a methodological issue. And Prema Fesi, I don't believe, because at least in the central western Ghats, which is the Karnataka part of uh, what we call Malanad, and the adjacent areas in Kerala, like Vainad and Tamil Nadu, Mudumale, in this whole cluster... I do not believe tiger distribution has shrunk. I think it's again a result of poor methodology. We are having more conflicts. We are having tigers turn up in new areas. We are having reproduction seen, for example, in some areas of uh, why not even uh, uh, reproduction happening in coffee estates. So there, uh, I, I do not believe this outcome that in this particular cluster in Central Western Ghats, which I am very familiar with, the that the population has crashed or it has come down, the distribution has sunk. It is just an artifact of poor methodology. They really need to give up on these methods they are using. They should be more transparent with the data they have collected, which they never share. Five surveys have been done costing crores to taxpayers. The data are locked up in NTCA, not shared with any scientists. So this is the problem. I do not believe with that conclusion. What else has there been in the report that that you would like to highlight, sir? Is there anything specific that has come up? I have not read the report. I have only seen the few pages that were distributed and you can't make much out of it. See, to me, the biggest, biggest argument that they bring that we are at saturation, carrying capacity for tigers in India, I do not believe that at all. We have 380,000 that is 3,80,000 square kilometers of tiger habitat, of which barely one or two, maybe 10% of that or 15% of that is effectively protected, whether it's a tiger reserve or a wildlife sanctuary outside tiger reserve. Rest is open, a uh, lot of grazing, a lot of hunting, prey poaching is going on. So 
we are not at carrying capacity. There is no way this claim can be made just because a few reserves are at saturation or high densities. It doesn't mean the entire tiger potential habitat is at saturation density. This figure of 3,500, then a lot of people should be sent home and budgets cut. If this is all they can achieve after 50 years, why are we spending so much money? I think that claim, I do not agree that we can have only 3,500 tigers. That's a fundamental problem. And this is a number being touted by an institution called Global Tiger Forum. I don't know why we should take this Global Tiger Forum as a source of wisdom for any science. Uh, So this is a basic problem that I don't agree with. The second thing that I found is that right from the beginning, anybody who's been in tiger conservation knows that where tigers have come back is in Western Ghats, Uttarakhand belt, parts of central India, particularly in Maharashtra and Madhya Pradesh, tigers' populations have come back. But far more extensive forests exist in Chhattisgarh, Jharkhand, parts, uh, large parts of Orissa and entire northeastern hill states. Those forests are virtually bereft of tigers and they have been ever since Project Tiger began. It is not that tigers were there and they have disappeared. They had almost disappeared. Nagaland tigers went extinct in the 1950s. So to say that we are now discovering it in this report as though it is some man landing on the moon is rubbish because it was known these areas don't have tigers and where they have actually put in effort even in such areas tigers have come back. For example, a good example is Simlipal. Parts of Simlifal, maybe a thousand square kilometers, this massive overhunting was stopped, local overhunting. And there is a part of Simlifal that there are tigers at high densities, which clearly shows if you put in the effort, you can bring back tigers there. It's going to be long and hard, but to claim 3,500 is enough and the rest of India, uh, you know, tigers have disappeared. They have not disappeared. They had never come back there. And we need to put in the effort there. So I find the report very disappointing, even the outlines of it, for its lack of vision, lack of ambition and lack of science. Where where are the areas that we could focus on to bring back these populations, sir? You just talked about the northeast states. Would that be one good place? There are many places. Why Even in Karnataka. For example, when we had done some estimates, there were about 350 tigers roughly in the occupied areas, but the capacity, if you extend better protection to reserve forests in Karnataka, we could have 1,200, 1,300 tigers just in Karnataka. So there are many places like that in Central India. Of course, wholesale, Orissa, Jharkhand, Chhattisgarh, these are good, beautiful deciduous forests with very high carrying capacity for tigers. And in historic times, they supported tigers in incredible densities. Those are where there is enough room for us to put the effort. But what we are doing is just spending money without spreading the money wisely. We are spending it in the same old places, not spreading it in the right places so tigers come back in more places. Could you talk to us a little bit about some of the threats that the tiger population in India is facing at present, sir? We hear a lot about habitat encroachment and human-animal conflict. What is? What are the major threats and what could be done about them? The nature of threats has changed from the 70s when the work was really difficult and foresters put their lives on the line to bring back tigers in those years, first 30 years, 35 years. And 
widespread hunting of the kind that you still see in northeast hill states and these other areas i mentioned was rampant all over india so hunting of prey was the biggest threat it has receded a lot in the areas, some of in you know in southwestern india uttarakhand parts of central india the prey populations and tigers have bounced back but large parts of india that continues to be the biggest problem why tigers are not there where we have the most extensive forests in india is because the prey has been eaten out now the prey has vanished partly uh, or mainly because of local hunting which is partly also driven by uh, lack of access to farm produced protein so people hunt uh, for eating animals so this is one of the problems and that remains a threat over large parts of india second threat was posed particularly after 1990s was the trade illegal trade in tiger skins tiger body parts which is driven by external markets the, although the hunters illegal hunters are local people the demand comes from outside now that threat i think has been addressed somewhat effectively at least i don't see this illegal trade driven poaching as a big problem around our thriving tiger populations whether it's in the western ghats or in uttarakhand or kaziranga or any one of these places so i think that threat has receded as far as uh, direct poaching being threat to tigers uh, it's not looming large in, in the large empty forest areas because there are hardly any tigers left there to poach so it's not i would not consider a big uh, big threat direct poaching of tigers the third thing you mentioned is of habitat yes habitat continues to be a matter of concern again there have been changes in the 60s in the first 30 40 years of project tiger livestock grazing massive grazing by thousands of livestock was a major pressure on the forest both on forest regeneration and also in depressing numbers of wild prey animals but because of the protection afforded to these areas in since then massive cattle grazing has receded as a problem in at least in some of these prime areas it, it's not a problem for habitat anymore the other reasons are also there in many parts of the developed parts of india cattle numbers have come down because people are switching to mechanized traction uh, carts have been replaced by mini tractors uh, mini trucks so there is a reduction in that particular pressure logging or commercial forestry was a big threat to many of these forests and to the credit of forest departments in most areas that whole focus on timber and timber revenues has moved forest departments have moved generally in favor of conservation the scale of logging that was officially allowed has drastically come down certainly in karnataka it came down even in the 80s other states also it has come down remarkably so which which is a positive thing lastly there are two other threats to habitat one is while economic development brings uh, many positive changes to people's lives and even reduces pressure on forest the infrastructure projects linear infrastructure whether it is pipelines whether it is uh, hydro projects or uh, networks of hydro projects mini mini hydro projects uh, highways railways this infrastructure thrust is definitely 
breaking connections and in some cases cutting right through parks. And uh, we need a very different approach where you identify critical protected areas. There you don't put the surface infrastructure. It has to be either underground or high above ground. Uh, there are mechanical solutions to this. They are more expensive, but these places are priceless and we should make that initial investment. I was very pleased to see actually in Central Western Ghats, uh, highway authority is actually putting a tunnel between Bangalore, uh, the highway between Bangalore and Mangalore, two biggest cities, fast-growing cities. So the widening, hopefully, of the surface, eternally widening the surface highway system is going to be uh, reduce. So this, this is a positive step. But infrastructure poses a big threat. And uh, lastly, uh, many conservationists simply don't raise this issue. The original Wildlife Protection Act was very strong. It had very strong provisions against encroachment, particularly in protected areas. However, the enactment of the Forest Rights Act in around 2006 has changed that picture because this act de facto stands in contradiction to habitat encroachment provisions of the Wildlife Protection Act and the Indian Forest Act and the Forest Conservation Act, three laws that protect habitats. And this act's validity has been extended year after year. It was to end in 2013. It's still gone on, going on. So this has led to indiscriminate encroachment of forests in many parts of the country. And this poses a much more widespread threat than some of the other projects that I talked about. But nobody is talking about it because it's politically not correct to say Forest Right Acts has done damage to wildlife. But the fact is it has. So summary, threats to habitat continue. But we should still remember India has a land area of 3.2 million square kilometers. All our protected areas don't add up to more than 5% of the land. We should have, a, we claim such heritage and tradition and compassion for other species. At least 5% of India, preferably 10% of India, should be earmarked for conservation for tigers, elephants, snow leopards, whatever. All these species that require fairly intact protected areas. So, I think there is room for change. I think there is room for the positive move, but we should not lose focus. We should not lose focus and we should not unnecessarily gloat that we have achieved great. Right. So one of the other concerns raised uh, in this uh, recent report is that the loss is the loss of genetic diversity uh, sir, among tiger populations. Is this is this a major area of concern? Generally, genetic diversity loss is an area of concern, but the report hasn't presented any genetic evidence, nor does their surveys have done anything related to genetics. So these are all loose statements saying that the connectivity is broken, so genetics must be damaged kind of thing. I would like to see some genetic evidence before treating it as a big threat because, see, one of uh, Rust Landy, one of the top conservation geneticists, one of the pioneers in the field, pointed out in a major paper in 1988 in the journal Science that while genetics is a threat, some of the more direct threats like habitat loss and hunting are already driving populations extinct. So the, there is not even a waiting opportunity for the genetic threats to kick in. 
So that might be happening and that has happened in large parts of India. So, but that doesn't mean we should ignore it. This is the reason why our infrastructure projects which are disrupting connectivity should be more intelligently designed so tigers can move between populations and they do move. It is not that, uh, you know, uh, if there is some permeable cover like a tea plantation, a coffee plantation, any any kind of tall crop, tigers do disperse through those. It, it, is, it doesn't mean that every inch has to be declared as a protected area. But uh, it is important for us to identify those opportunities and protect them before they are lost because of the infrastructure trust. So to that degree, there is a concern. But again, these loose statements without evidence, without presenting data, keeping the data hidden in a cell is not the way to solve these problems. This is a common problem. We need to put our brains together and solve rather than say government knows everything. Don't ask us questions. What would you say are the key things that India needs to address in order to, as you said, India can support a far larger population of tigers than has been presented at the moment. What would you say are the key things that need to be done in order to achieve this? Uh, the most important thing is where tigers are still not re uh, receiving, tigers and prey animals are not receiving strict protection from poaching, enforcement has to be scaled up. It may need, require a different enforcement structure rather than the forest department, uh, whose it doesn't run in many parts of the country. But anyway, that is a key area of concern. Certainly, if you have to bring back tigers over large parts where they have gone extinct, that is required. Without that, you can't bring back tigers. The second thing is many of the uh, areas where tigers are prospering or where there is, uh, you know, reasonable protection also, there are inside protected areas, key tiger habitats, villages and settlements that are growing enormously. And these people who are seeing development, schools, uh, employment opportunities, electric power, transportation in uh, towns and cities even 20 kilometers away are hankering for the same things. And they're demanding that these be delivered to where they are. Now, doing so will finish off the parks. Now, there are examples, particularly in Madhya Pradesh, Maharashtra, and earlier in Karnataka of very well-planned voluntary relocation projects where entire villages or individual families have been moved out, given all that they need to develop in terms of land, employment, whatever else they are seeking, while freeing up these inner remote areas from human pressures and the pressures of delivering development to them, building highways, building power lines. So this voluntary relocation has to be taken on a different level. I, I think the, a separate agency with empathy for people needs to be assembled. I'm not saying create one more bureaucracy. I think there are many, many uh, development agencies in the government, non-development, uh, in the non-government sector doing this, but they should be harnessed to do voluntary relocation on a massive scale. If we don't do that, even the remaining prime habitats of tigers will fall apart and break as we go on building more highways, more development to these remote settlements. To me, that is the greatest priority next to that issue of hunting. These two things. Now, I also feel that our uh, management of the macroeconomy uh, is not completely dealing from conservation. So 
beyond protected areas. Right now, tigers are restricted to government-owned reserve forests, a small fraction of them. Okay, even beyond these government-owned lands, there are many areas which are under agriculture where because today India is an affluent country with an urbanizing, fairly affluent population, what we are doing is we are literally trashing the existing tiger habitats with tourists. Tourists in excessive numbers, tourists are going and splurging money, spending 50, 60,000 rupees a night for a person. That level of revenue flow is going to these tiger habitats and it's doing a lot of harm because it's concentrated on too small an area. So if we can enter into partnership with the farmers or landowners around and adjacent to these high-value tourism areas and make them share the profits from tourism, I think we can expand tiger habitats. This model has worked in South Africa and other countries. We haven't tried anything seriously in India. So I think ecotourism-driven tiger habitat expansion also is an option for the future because with the country's rapid economic growth, and uh, projected to even accelerate and reach $5 trillion a year, we are going to have a substantial population that would visit nature reserves and that power of economics has to make the money flow into the pockets of local landowners and farmers and expand tiger habitats. Instead of some other form of marginal agriculture, people could be having wildlife on their land and the scope for employment for local people in all this is enormous. So that's another area that requires serious attention and neither the tourism industry nor the government has explored this properly. And I think uh, the private sector has to play a major role here because I don't think growing the bureaucracy more is a solution to saving the tiger. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, sir. Thanks for giving the opportunity. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.